Welcome to the Kind Faith Bible Podcast. Conversations about how we read the Bible for newcomers and nerds alike. Happy New Year! We're glad you're here. Uh, Yeah, you missed all the jokes going on right before this. Um, So welcome to the Kind Faith Podcast. I'm Jeff. I'm Tyler. And we're starting a whole new series this year. I remember when I sat down to read my Bible for the first time, and I hadn't had a lot of exposure. I picked up my grandma's Bible. I was in seventh grade and thought I should read this thing that was this important document for the world. Didn't Maybe been to church every now and then, but really didn't know much. And I opened up and started in Genesis 1. That was kind of interesting. And then it got weird. Yeah. And I gave up. I I think I made it through like three or four chapters and I gave up on the whole thing. And I've had give up experiences in my Bible reading all through my early Christian life. And we want to take time to address that. We want to give you a framework uh, that's not ours, that's old and it's traditional uh, to help unlock and, and help you really access, unlock the mystery of Scripture and help you access Scripture a little more easily. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking back to my childhood. We were one of those families that had one of those really big traditional Bibles. And it, it was in our like fancy room that oh, the, yeah. the kids weren't allowed into. And all we ever used that for was to press flowers. <laughs> we never actually read it. Uh, but I, I'm sure, I, I know I've had this experience, I'm sure a lot of us have, where you open up the Bible kind of randomly, and especially if you hit one of the Old Testament stories, like you're saying, pretty, pretty early on, it's weird. What's going on here? There's all these old kings and wars, and, and even just to know a, a, a bit of where am I at in this story, and how do I read what I'm actually looking at? Does this fit into a bigger context? Why is this the book that God gave us? Like, yeah. There's some great takeaways Uh, that we put on our wall and we have as our little bumper stickers. But um, how does the whole Bible continue to form us and shape us? And there's a large overarching framework that helps us make sense of the messy Bible. In fact, that's what we're going to call these next series or these next uh, episodes uh, in a series is our messy Bible. It is messy. Yeah. And this is just the start of the conversation. We would love your questions as well. As we hit every part, we're going to give a few um, entry points into each major section of the book. Uh, but we love your questions of how, how do I understand the law or the prophets or the gospels or, or some of those uh, maybe nitpicky questions that you have. Uh, and, and we'd love for you to rate us on iTunes. It helps other people get to, to get to hear this podcast. And you can email us at thekindfaith at gmail.com. Uh, thekindfaith at gmail.com. Email us all your questions. We would love to incorporate those into future uh, conversations. And yeah. And they could be off topic, on topic, around topic, whatever you need to Absolutely. do. We would love it. So the, we're going to start this whole series out with a, with a framework to understand the old Testament that is, is older than, uh, than anything in the new Testament. It goes way back to, um, exilic times for the people of Israel. So once they got sent into exile, um, the the folks in exile began to, to develop this framework for how they named and understood the sections of the Bible. And and it's, it's the way the Old Testament has been structured. And importantly, it's the way 
Jesus read his Bible. We were talking right before this. Yeah. And, and you had mentioned. So in Luke, yeah. uh, in Luke 24, verse 44, Jesus talks about how he came to fulfill uh, the Bible. But what he says is that he came to fulfill Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Uh, and that, well, we'll get here, but that basically corresponds to the three major sections of the Hebrew Bible. Which are? So we, we got, okay, this is a little nerdy. Uh, but it's it's an acronym, the Tanakh. If you go and you look for a Jewish Hebrew Bible, it'll say Tanakh on it. But that's actually an acronym. T-N-K. T-N-K. Yeah. Uh, stands for Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim. Those are three Hebrew words. Can Torah, you say it again faster? Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim. Yeah, it's easy. <laughs> I probably had to do a little bit of in there. I, I missed you that You blew part. it. Uh, but so Torah is the law. And now those are the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The, the Nevi'im, that's the word for prophets. So the next major section in the Jewish Bible is the prophets. And we got to get to that uh, because there's another section. There's a fourth section in most of our Protestant Christian Bibles that we don't really have in the Tanakh. So we have the Torah, the prophets, and then Ketuvim just means what is written. So the other writings. And the first book of that are the Psalms. And so sometimes shorthand was Psalms, but what Jesus meant was and all the other writings. So in that you have books like uh, Daniel, um, Esther, Job, Proverbs, uh, a lot of these, Song of Solomon, yeah, Song of Solomon, all these great books, and those comprise the three major sections of the Old Testament that we call it the Old Testament. So why does this matter? Oh, it matters. <laughs> so what? Before let me do an. A, I know there's a little bit of a, a nerdy dive, but let's look really quick. Compare that to our Christian Old Testament. Um, we have another section, we, it's not often labeled this way, but we have a section we typically think of as the histories. So we have the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and then books Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Samuel, Kings, Kings, we think of as the history of early Israel, which I think corresponds more to our modern Western way of seeing books like history books. It's how like you that. intend to read it. It's, it's this happened and then this happened and this happened with this king. And it'll, for a lot of folks, that's one of the sections of the Old Testament that's most understandable yeah. in our Western framework. Yeah. And so that, that whole section, all of that are considered part of the prophets. So in the Tanakh, the prophets are all of those histories, which they consider the prophets, uh, plus all your major prophets and the minor prophets that come at the end of our Old Testament. So but Jeremiah, Tyler, Isaiah, all of them. There's no, in, in Samuel, there's no telling of the future. Right. Well, okay. We don't, we, the Antichrist doesn't show up in, in Samuel. I'm yeah. confused. You're getting ahead because today <laughs> what I want to do is unpack the Torah in particular. And next episode, you're going to have to tune in because there's some great questions. And actually, if you get into why did the Western world create a separate section called histories, we have this... Uh, implicit understanding that history can be unbiased mm -hmm. and all it was doing was telling us what actually happened. But when you see it in the framework of the prophets, you realize like, oh no, this is a theological work. Mm -hmm. It's telling us why it happened even more than it's telling us what happened. Uh, we got to get to there. So that's next week, little teaser. Uh, but we're going to look at specifically what is the Torah all about. Next week, we'll look at the prophets and then the writings. Uh, and then going into the New Testament, we'll spend three weeks in the New Testament looking at the Gospels, the letters, and the Apocalypse, or the Revelation. Uh, so we'll, that's a little foretaste of what's to come. We'll get through all the major sections of our Bible. Yeah, and importantly, if you tuned into our previous episodes, the whole point of this is we're, we're putting on lenses as we approach Scripture. 
curiosity, wonder, and challenge. And curiosity it is important that it be directed. Mm-hmm. Because you could be curious about anything and go down weird paths. And this framework gives us the understanding or the ability to, to, to actually frame the questions to lead us where scripture is actually trying to take us as opposed to where our imagination and wanderings would take us. And so that's, that's why we're doing this overarching framework. And, and when it comes to the Tanakh, there, there was a theological assumption in all of that. That that this is this is God's story. This is a story about God directing us toward Him and His character. So, so we're going to dive in and talk about the Torah, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Yeah, it is the foundation for the entire Bible. And and we aren't going to dive into those of you who are seminary students. Some of you have heard the argument that Joshua should be considered part of the Torah. We're gonna. We're not going to go there. We're going to hold with the traditional Jewish reading of the Old Testament. Correct. Yeah, that's good. So uh, it's called Torah. Probably we should start there. Yeah. Let's start with the Torah. Yeah. So we, in English, probably still maybe one of the best translations is the law. Um, But that, even that, we have to have a little uh, asterisk next to it. Because when we think of law, we think of things that are typically not what the first five books look like mm-hmm. you pick up if you think of if you think you're picking up a law code uh for governing a society if we go down to our city hall or or to the white house white house and ask for our constitution our law code what we're going to get is a list of stipulations and laws that look a lot different than what you get when you open up the book mm-hmm. of genesis you open genesis and it's a whole bunch of narrative uh of from the creation of the world to the creation of the people of israel all of a sudden they find themselves in slavery, right? You have to go through until about halfway through the book of Exodus till you start getting laws. But then it's a section of laws with some more narrative and a section of laws with some more narrative and then a whole bunch more narrative. And then you end with Deuteronomy, which seems like a nice long speech covering a bunch of laws. But yeah, it, it, it reads a lot different. So that right off the bat, it's called the law or the Torah, but... All five of those books are considered Torah. So what's it, going on there? Yeah, it's important. It's important because my, my misconception when I first ran across this, and, and I think it was seminary. It might have been a little bit before seminary when I ran across it was, oh, it's called the law because the most important thing that happens in those first five books is God giving Moses the stone tablets to bring down to Israel to to deliver the Ten Commandments. I mean, the Ten Commandments are the thing. So everything in the Torah, I thought, led up to that, and everything after that kind of moved away from that, and that was the pinnacle. And so, really, if I just went to the if I just went to Exodus twenty, I'd be I'd be good. Okay, like I'd get the summary, and and that comes from my Western desire to water things down. Or water things down is not right. To to um, simplify things down to this contract. Because I think in contracts, just like our, our, our constitution you referred to earlier, I want to simplify it down to that. So there it is. When the law actually finds itself in the context of story, this is a story-based society that they were living in, like ours is, although we, we try to think yeah. we're not. We're, we're I like, that's an techno. interesting point of view. I haven't thought about that 
way in particular, but you referenced Exodus 20. That's the Ten Commandments. Yep. So you're saying that the way you read it was as if the whole thing was just a buildup for the Ten Commandments. Yep. And uh, and then the rest was just some like the prologue. Yeah, it, uh, yeah. It, the rest was okay. We're gonna give you the rest of the details on the Ten Commandments. So yeah, like yeah. All, all the the rules of Deuteronomy were just kind of, hey, if you wonder how to honor your father and mother, here's all the details there, which loses you right away when you're when you're reading about um, soldiers, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, and what they can take home with them. Yeah. In terms of uh, uh, spoils from the from the field of battle, it did, didn't make sense, but. That was the framework that I brought to it. Yeah. So here, here's my, my main takeaway. And I want to throw this out. It might be a little controversial. Can people like turn off the, the, the podcast once they've heard this? You could, but I'm hoping that once you hear it, you're going to be so intrigued. You're, you just can't turn Oh, away. so this is like a one takeaway slash big hook. Yes. Okay, great. So the law is not a rule book. Uh, for how to earn favor with God or how to earn salvation. The law was not given as a rule book. It's actually a path of wisdom. It's not a rule book. It's a wisdom book. Uh, that's my takeaway. We got to unpack that. But um, <laughs> Yeah, we really do. Because then I thought, well, wait a second. There's the Nivim and Kitavim and huh? Oh, yeah. Which, which is the writings. Remember Kitavim, the writings, all the rest of it, and Nevi'im, the, the prophets in the middle. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I, and and so what is the nature of the Torah? Talk a little bit about more about what you said, and then um, yeah, so we'll kick the tires on that. So let's start in Genesis. Mm-hmm. Genesis one through three is the creation story, and God creates humans in God's image, male and female. He creates them, sets them in the earth, sets them in the world to be his partners, uh, to to rule over the earth. Genesis chapter 2 introduces a pretty major theme throughout the Bible is these two trees right in the center of the Garden of Eden. The tree of life uh, and then the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. Uh, we, we often call it the knowledge of good and evil. It's the Hebrew word tov and ra, which um, tov is the word for good. Ra can mean evil as in like something spiritually, morally evil. It can also mean a decision between literally just what's good and bad. Mm-hmm. Really, the picture is uh, the path. How, how do you find true wisdom? Do you, tr- do you find wisdom in life? Do I know how to choose from good and bad? Um, am I trying to do that on my own, which is the symbolized by taking of the tree of knowledge of good and bad? Or am I looking to God and saying, God, I, I'm going to actually follow you and your wisdom and try to figure out what does it mean to live the, the truly human life? That's the, the quest that we're given from the very beginning is we are set on this earth to pursue real wisdom, to live our truly human lives in relationship with God, not usurping that and trying to do it all on our own, uh, but figuring out what does it look like to actually follow the path of life. So there's life and death, good and bad, presented to us right at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 2. We fail the very next page. Right, we we take from the tree uh, instead of trusting in God, and and the whole rest of the story is a story of humanity trying to uh, find wisdom in their own eyes rather than in trusting God. So that that's kind of you you get that right at the beginning. I know that was a huge mouthful, but that's kind of a uh, your 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 baseline. You, you're starting the Torah, you pick it up, and that's kind of what you're supposed to see. Chapters one, two, and three of the whole book is setting up this problem. We were given this great vocation to follow God and to find wisdom in him 
and we failed miserably and we keep trying to find wisdom in our own eyes. So that that's right there. Yeah. And that theme is that theme is pushing and maybe I'm maybe I'm jumping ahead on you here, but as that theme pushes through the whole Torah, so is the nature and character of God as as a covenant maker and uh, relationship um, builder or someone who's committed a relationship of the that that phrase the um, the loving kindness of God the covenant committed nature of God per- creates the context for yeah. all of this law that's going on and even though I thought that Exodus 20 the Ten Commandments were the height of the whole thing the way the culture worked was it was story based. So in order to get to Exodus 20, I've got to hear the story of my fathers and my forefathers and those who've walked before me and to get me to that place. And that's being built in there too with here's, here's good and evil, that theme, here's my participation as family and here's the character of God. And all three of those layers are moving and informing the, yeah. the entire Torah. Yeah. So I would say maybe the next stopping point for me would be Genesis chapter 12. So you have the problem set up. God gives us this great mandate, be truly human, image bearers, taking care of the earth. Um, And then humanity just totally fails. And for 11 chapters, we just mess everything up. Right. We get the Tower of Babel in there. We get Noah in there. We get all of that. And we move to Abraham. So Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 is another high moment where God comes to this wandering nomad Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm choosing you and I'm going to make out of you a nation. Uh, your, your ancestors, your, your descendants will become a nation and through your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So he's, he picks Abraham. Uh, he calls Abraham not just for his sake, but so that the entire world can be blessed. He essentially says, look, the whole world has gone off track. So I'm going to pick one family. And through this one family, I'm going to, uh, bless all the families of the earth. I'm going to put on display what it means to be truly human through this one family so that the whole world can get back on track. So, so that, that brings up just as a little tidbit for later conversation, I think, would be questions like the calling of Israel. Why did God choose Israel and not somebody else and all that? That, that kind of gets into that. We don't have time to unpack that today, but um, Genesis 12 is huge then because you see God still cares about his original plan for creation um, he's trying to get it back on track by picking, choosing Israel. And so he chooses Abraham. I'm going to bless you. Your name's going to be great. And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Uh, and then we keep going. And as, as Israel's story unfolds, you have the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, the sons of Israel. Eventually they find themselves in Egypt. They're enslaved for over 400 years, uh, needing a rescuer. So now this group of slaves um, under foreign occupation and, and dominance, like what good are they going to do? How, are, how is this group of slaves who are powerless ever going to be that uh, instrument to bless the whole world? Uh, and that's kind of the, the problem that you see it mounting all the way through Genesis is telling this story. God chose a family, but it doesn't look like they're off to a very good start. They, they end the book of Genesis in slavery, right? And so how, how are they going to fix that? You, you turn the page to Exodus and you start to see what God is doing with the people and we're getting closer to your pinnacle chapter of Exodus 20. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so 
you might keep going then. So God hears the cry of these slaves in Egypt and he rescues them. He says, okay, so I'm bringing you out. And the first thing they do through all the, the plagues of Egypt, they part the Red Sea, they, they go out into the desert to the, to the wilderness of Sinai and they come to this mountain. And that's where God kind of uh, creates this covenant. And it's, it's set in the, the, the way we're supposed to read the covenant is, I think the best way is like a marriage covenant. Uh, he marries his people there and he gives them this law. Now, this is from our like Western American, especially mindset. We often think of laws, well, and, and we immediately jump to, well, they must have been earning their salvation, right? The, the, the reason that they had all these laws so that they could prove to God that they were worthy so that God could save them. And that was not at all the point. Um, God gave them these laws so that they could get back on track to being that blessing for the whole world. Which is a fascinating um, connection. So if, you, if you've studied the covenant and you've studied the law, you, you get this, this, um, this phrase that comes out that, that it's, a, it's a suzerain vassal covenant that was traditional. Like the formula was the same from country to country, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. And all of that's really important. But what's missed in that is that generally a marriage was the thing that would solidify the bond between countries. That was the way it went for centuries and centuries and centuries. And so this connection between it being a, uh, a conquering king over his conquered people, and it follows that formula, but making it a marriage covenant is a really powerful connection to make because the, the commitment of covenant on in Exodus 20 is is not I'm the more powerful country and I've defeated you and so here's what you need to do to stay in my favor yeah that's what the traditional suzerain vassal um, covenant looked like that this was I I want you to be part of my family yeah and that changes everything when it comes to to how I begin to now look at these laws it's not I've got to obey these Ten Commandments to stay in God's favor. It's this is these are the family rules. Yeah, and and as a as a person, I'm gonna learn these. I'm coming into this family that God's invited me into, and here's what He expects at the dinner table, and and I've got to figure that out. Yeah, so that that's all that's all great, and yeah, I think that seeing it more relationally in the family terms is really helpful. The next level I want to push us, going back to this idea that the law was actually a wisdom book, not a rule book. Um, I would, I, I've come to read the, the laws in the Torah. There's 613 of them. We could talk about that at some point. Um, but I only count 612. The, the best, uh, <laughs> well, there's a debate. It's either 611 or 613. I wasn't going to get into that. Sometimes I lean to 611. Okay. Um, that's. It's way too nerdy. So think of this. Instead of the word law, um, I want to offer the word case study. These, as, as many as there are, 613, we're supposed to read them more like case studies than uh, legal code. So we're talking Deuteronomy now. Yeah. Okay. So that we've, we've kind of moved Exodus through. Exodus number. There's so, Exodus. All, there's all a throughout. bunch of numbers and there's a bunch Leviticus. of Deuteronomy. But, yeah. but there we go. Oh, yeah. And there's Leviticus in there's there Leviticus too. There's Leviticus in there. So all of those books that we all skip over, yeah, that you're suggesting that instead of seeing that as, okay, here's a rule that's been given to the people of Israel, yeah. 
it's it's a case study held up to provide direction to shape us as people who are wis- have wisdom so let me so think about it like this uh one even even back then i'm saying this is not like a good way for us modern people to read the old testament this is how they would, would have read it too i would i think the more i study this because uh 613 laws is not enough 612 for those of you who can <laughs> It, it, it is, however many it is, it is not enough to actually order a society, even for ancient Israelites. They go into the promised land and the first thing they're going to have to do is come up with a bunch more laws, right? A, a good example of that, the, the, the ancient Jews, the rabbis had to figure this out uh, because God gave them a law like, uh, keep the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath holy. And they realized very quickly, well, we're coming up against so many things and as technology moves and as we keep spreading out, well, they, they've come up with at least 40 other clarifications of what mm-hmm. it means mm-hmm. for me to keep the Sabbath, mm-hmm. right? Or, uh, and, and so actually, as you go along, if, if you try to actually apply this law to today, even the laws of our own city, let alone our country, um, are way more than 600, right? You need thousands upon thousands I'll go with 613. Of, of laws. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's, a, that's an inter- maybe a new perspective. For, for folks, but to see the law itself is not actually adequate if that's all they had. They, they can't just uphold those 600 however many laws and say that's enough to order our whole society. They're going to have to come up with more. What's more important, I think, in God's heart is I'm giving you this marriage covenant and I'm giving you the right direction with some case studies so that you can become a person and a leader who is wise in every single scenario life will ever throw your way. Uh, an example, a very famous example is King Solomon in First uh, Kings three, I think First Kings three. King Solomon is Uncle known Luke. as one of the wisest kings, right? And there's this famous example where two prostitutes come and both had a, both had a child. One child dies in the night, and they're um, fighting over whose baby is the live baby. And he has that famous moment where he says, well, cut the baby in two. Mm. And uh, the, the mother who's, who was really the mother. First Kings 3.16. Yeah, out of love for the child said, no, I, I relinquish my claim. Let her have the baby because out of her love, she, she didn't want that to happen. That whole scenario, there's no law for that. Solomon was not just an expert in reading Deuteronomy and he said, oh, that's Deuteronomy 7. You know, he, he actually had to be a person who was so steeped in the, in the law of God that it had shaped his, his own wisdom. And it was through also his personal relationship with God. He has this great, powerful moment of praying and God giving him wisdom. And, and so there's something about the, the Israelite is supposed to be someone who's so connected with God's law and so connected with a relationship with God that in a moment... This, th- that scenario had never happened before. And yet what, what the people say at the end of that story, they, they marvel at his wisdom. They say, wow, God has endowed him with such wisdom to be able to lead us because he knew that the true mother would be found out through this that model. So that, that's a good example where if the whole point was you just need to be an expert in perfectly recapitulating the, the, the actual commands that I just gave you, um, Solomon should have stood up and say, well, this, this is what God said in Deuteronomy 14.3, right? And he should have just had the whole thing memorized. Instead, he had to be a person who actually sought out wisdom and found a new way to address a new situation. And to that, to that point, um, so one of the, I, I, I would 
say or or suggest in this in in reading it this way that that was the the move that many rabbis took around the Old Testament and specifically the Torah, and 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 they would it was called doing a midrash on on a particular text in the Torah and that midrash was an expansion of this is this is how this should be applied in this circumstance it was an extension of the law in fact entire documents and books got developed around the Torah that helped make more laws to the laws themselves which which ended up being um left behind by the people of Israel and especially by Jesus when he goes and and refers to and goes back to scripture he never refers to anybody's midrash he talks straight to scripture you could say that's just Jesus's you know he's God and he can do that but but the truth was the attempt was to find all the potential rules and make laws around all those potential rules and miss the reality that that the Torah's intent was to lead us into all wisdom mm-hmm. and to lead us into the character of God and to see those as case studies is a powerful uh, way to begin to think about those and say, okay, this isn't, this isn't about, okay, this is how I manage my period as a woman, or this is how I manage my sacrifices or my offerings, but this is actually showing me ways to be in relationship with God that honor him and honor other people. And the truth of that then is I'll understand some of that, but a lot of it I won't because I'm not living in that context. Yeah. And you see even the way they approach the law, then it's, they, they sing praises to the law. They talk about uh, like Deuteronomy six talks about, you want to talk about these on the, on the road with your friends and never stop talking about them. And great Psalms like Psalm 19 or Psalm 119 are just, hymns of praise about God's law. And you're like, we would never do that. I've, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I have a constitution and I live in America, but I've never once desired to sing a worship song about the constitution, right? Like, what? But there's something, <laughs> there's something about this. It's, it's more than just, here's some really good laws. It's actually this way you meditate on this. You talk about it with your friends. You tell your kids about them. Like you're, it, it's supposed to be just shaping your your worldview, every single step. And um, it's more about that. It's the path toward life. Um, what you said, I like you brought up the, the midrash concept. In a way, on mm. one hand, that's exactly what they're supposed to do. Um, what you get when you get into Jesus's story and the way he's confronting the Pharisees, um, clearly every generation has to maybe get uh, uncomfortable about it again and kind of turn like, you got you to gotta shake it up a little bit because any any time you have to do that, it's going to become maybe more stuffy. They do become more legalistic or any, any, any sorts of problems might come out of this system of midrash and trying to create more laws upon laws about how to, how to uh, follow the Sabbath and things like that. But the original tendency is it's actually a good thing. Like you're, we're supposed to be people that are constantly talking about with all of our friends, how, how do we keep the Sabbath? Uh, and yeah, Jesus had to come in and shake things up a little bit, but um, not because they should never have done that, but because they had turned it into something and it had become a little too stale, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I would push that even a bit further and say it not it had become some, something stale, it becomes something um, etched in stone. Yeah. Um, yeah. It had become formalized 
as as behavior dictating as opposed to character shaping. Yeah. So my question about how do I keep the Sabbath is is a question about what did God intend and what's the character of God and how do I honor God and his intention for me in the Sabbath. And it's not so much about, oh my gosh, if I if I uh, we were in Israel a few years ago and we were happened to be there on a Sunday. That's a bummer, by the way. <laughs> when you're in a hotel that has 14 floors and you're on the 13th floor, because on the Sabbath, the elevators are turned off. You're not allowed to press a button. So all of a sudden you're hiking 13 floors up to your room. Um, so walking <clears throat> 13 floors is less work than pushing the button for the elevator. Uh, the, uh, according to the teaching and the midrash <laughs> and the understanding. And so it, it all got locked into the yeah. here, here's the dictated behavior of, of how you're supposed to do it as opposed to what what in this honors God for me and honors honors me and this rule the way God wants me to live according yeah. to it. Yeah. So l- let's let's break this all down. Yeah. I see you holding that finger though, so I can't break it down yet because you want to say something. Well, we need to end with one one more passage. This just this is will, it a short one? Well, it, it'll help break it down. <laughs> um, so to to kind of round out this conversation, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. We get there's a lot to go into, but. Uh, Deuteronomy 30, I think, is probably the most important chapter in the Torah to understand the role of the law. Uh, so Deuteronomy 30, one, it shows that God never actually intended or, or thought that humanity would be able to perfectly follow it. He actually says, look, you're, you're going to mess things up. I'm giving you this great path to life, but you're going to mess it up and you're going to end up in exile. So he, he even says in the, in the law itself, this is Moses talking, he says, but you know what? You're going to be scattered to the ends of the earth. And then verse four says, but when you're outcast and scattered to the uttermost parts of the earth, I'm God, God speaking, I'm going to gather you back. I'm going to bring you back. And then he says in Deuteronomy 36, then the Lord your God, 30 will, verse six, 30 verse six, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. That's an image that we can unpack later, but basically saying, I'm going to make it so that you can follow God from your heart and not from some legal code, which takes up themes all the way into the New Testament in a beautiful way. Uh, And then, uh, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your soul, and that you may live. Uh, So God's saying, look, I know you're not going to do this perfectly. One day I'm going to act and create this new covenant that actually writes God's heart on God's law on your heart so you can actually follow him even more naturally. And then I think my favorite verse, go down to verse 15. What God says is, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and bad. Uh, And those are the same words. Uh, Life as the tree of life, good and bad, tov and ra. And verse 15, actually the the summary of what this law actually is, takes us all the way back to the trees in the garden. What God set before us was not, here's a list of rules to earn my favor and make it into heaven one day. What I've set before you is the trees. Uh, I've set before you the tree of life, and good and bad, I want you to choose life, right? And he says that there. So I'm, I'm setting this before you, choose life. And it just gives me a whole new way of approaching what are these laws? As, as a Christian then, I'm supposed to read these, not because it's uh, I'm living in an ancient Jewish society and I'm trying to follow every law, but somehow they are pointing to a path 
of life and I'm supposed to choose life. It's a way to keep grasping and saying, how do I find wisdom here? But yeah. Deuteronomy 30, oh, so good. Yeah, there was a book that was written and now I'm struggling to find the name of it. Oh, it was 30 Days of Living Biblically. And it was a, a New York uh, journalist who, who wrote it and it just missed the entire point of the Torah. Yeah. So the goal was to obey every one of those rules, but at no point was there reflection on actually God's heart and intention and call to, to a people in it. And it was just, it ended up being an exercise in comedy. And this is, this is this larger reality that, and, and here's, here's how this all boils down. I think when I pick up my, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, my Torah. My, my goal is to look at all of that and ask questions about the character of God and God's loving intention for me. Because it's, it's clear all of this is out of God's love for me and all of this is, is a reflection of God's character. And it is not in any way about here are rules that couldn't be kept and we're now going to keep people out of heaven. And so something has to happen in order to, to get new rules in place to help people get to heaven someday. It's about, it's about reflection and character. And that, that doesn't in any means undermine this reality of all that Jesus does. So there is sin, by the way, I'm not saying that's not, there's no sin in the world, but we, we have boiled it down just too narrowly to, here's a set of rules and now Jesus has come. So I don't need to pay attention to any of these rules. Right. Because these rules don't matter. Jesus brought new rules and that wasn't the intent. Yeah. Too often Christians throw out the old Testament uh, and think we just need the new Testament and we need Jesus and we need the new Testament. Absolutely. But the, the, the Hebrew Bible is Jesus's Bible. Yeah. That's the Bible he quotes from. That's the Bible that shaped his own prayer life. And, and the more we understand, like, actually, it's been grace the whole, the whole time. And it's the same God the whole time. And we need the whole Bible to point us to who this God is and what does it actually mean to live with him and to pursue life. It's, yeah. So as you read the Torah, all the Torah is, is, is case study around the character of God and his intention for us. As individual people. I think one of the powerful takeaways of this was that for me personally was the whole people of Israel weren't going to be ruled by 612 <laughs> laws. Okay, 613 laws. Um, that, that God's intention wasn't that this would be all governing. It was to, to instruct and serve as a way for people to, as you, as you put it, to have case studies for the shaping of their character. Yeah. And, and so as we, as I go to open up my old Testament, the curious question to ask is God, what shaping of my character or what, what informing of your character am I supposed to see in this as opposed to what rules am I supposed to follow? Yeah, that's great. And yeah, and this is again, just the beginning of this conversation. Uh, we love questions. There's, there's a ton of questions about the Torah. Thekindfaith at gmail.com, yeah. right? Yeah. So email those in. We'd love to, to work those into future conversations. What is the law? Uh, what, where is grace in the Old Testament? 
what's the whole creation story about? Like, those are just a few off the top of my head from these first five books alone. Or just what's up with that? I read this the other day yeah. and I don't get it. Yeah. So bring them on. Yeah. We love it. We're so glad you tuned in and we're excited for this in the new year. And so uh, tune in, keep listening. We've got this uh, on YouTube and we're also um, through the Anchor app sending this out in podcast form. And so we want to give you an opportunity to listen. And if you're listening to this on a podcast, please rate us. We would, we would love that if you'd rate it in iTunes. That helps us. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, give us a like and subscribe. Uh, and you can subscribe on both because both of those help as well. So thank you so much. God bless you. And uh, welcome to 2021. We hope it's better than 2020. <laughs> Have a great new year. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can find more about the Kind Faith community at thekindfaith.org.